Amen? All right. Hey, we're in, we're in the uh, first book of Thessalonians. We're in 1 Thessalonians. We're in chapter 2. We've got four verses to cover today, 9 through 12. I'm going to do something a little different than what I normally do, and you'll, you'll see what I mean in a second. I'm, I'm kind of taking a big chunk of where, where we're at, and starting in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to verse 12 of, of chapter 2. And there's a reason, which I'll get to in a second. I want to go ahead and read our verses, um, 9, 10, 11, and 12. 12 is a crescendo. Verse 12 is a crescendo that starts in verse 1 of chapter 1 all the way through verse 12 of chapter 2. You'll see what I'm saying in a second. Um, but go, go with me, if you will, to 1 Thessalonians um, chapter 2. Give me a second. My pages are sticking together. All right. We've been healed. Chapter 2, 9, 10, 11, and 12. For you recall, brethren, now this is, if you go to verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul and Silas, or Silvanus, Paul and Silas and Timothy are writing this letter. Okay? Verse 9. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed you the gospel of Christ. Let me explain this labor and hardship and working night and day. There were some false teachers that would go around teaching for for money. And Paul's saying, we ain't going to do that. We're actually going to have our own jobs. And so they worked literally day and night to bring the gospel message so that that would not be an issue for people. Um, And so that's what he meant, that they were... In, in labor and hardship, working night and day, so as not to be a financial burden to any of you, we proclaimed you the gospel of God. Verse 10, you are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly, which means holy, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behaved towards you. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. And here's the crescendo that starts in verse 1 of chapter 1. So that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. That is massively where the spotlight is going to shine in our time together is verse 12. So that you and I would walk in a manner worthy of our calling as Christian men and women. Amen? When Terry and I met, uh, we met in college, but we didn't start dating. We didn't hook up until we met at a, ch- uh, a church plant. And, and Dieter Zander was the senior pastor. And I might have shared this with you before. When you saw Dieter, the first thing he would say to you is, tell me about your walk. Every single time. Tell me about your walk. Tell me about your walk. Tell me about your walk. And so, man, I would live during the week frightened to get that question, knowing he was going to ask me that on the weekend. I mean, he's going to ask me to tell me tell him about my walk. And so I want to walk. What he's saying is, are you walking in a manner worthy of the calling in which you've been called as brothers and sisters in Christ? It's important. That's the focal point of our time together. So I want to begin our time together by asking you to ask yourselves a very simple question. The simple question that I want you to ask yourselves is this, and I'll help you in a second. The question I want you to ask yourselves is why? Why? Let me give you some quotes. Here's a Chinese proverb. I think this is pretty powerful. (laughs) He who asks a question remains a fool for five minutes. He who does not ask remains a fool forever. I think there's a lot of truth to that. I'm, I'm one of those guys, I'm not afraid to ask a question. I'm just not afraid. I don't mind being a fool for a few minutes. I just don't want to be a fool for five decades, right? 
This is from Ben Franklin. If you know who I'm talking about, Ben Franklin, he gets a little feisty in this little quote. He says, all highly competent people continually search for ways to keep learning, growing, and improving. They do that by asking why. After all, the person who knows how will always have a job, but the person who knows why will always be the boss. (laughs) Isn't that just fantastic? Oh, Ben's feisty. And then this quote from Jennifer Hudson, which I think is very profound. She says, don't be afraid of the answers. Be afraid of not asking the questions. Church, why are you a Christian? It's really the question. Why? Why are you a Christian? How you answer that determines how you're going to live your life. Why are you following Jesus Christ? I'd venture to say that if and when we get better at asking why, then we're also going to get better in the how of our lives. If you have a job, why? You're probably asking yourself the same question. Why do I have this job? Why do you have a job? Perhaps if you truly discovered why you have a job, how you go about your job might change a bit. If you really wrestle with why you have a job, how you go about it changes. If you are a Christian, why? If you are a Christian, why are you a Christian? Why do you link your name to that of Jesus Christ? Are you a Christian simply because you don't want to spend eternity in hell? It's a great place to start. I don't want to spend time there either, right? But if that's your only reason, then how you live your Christian life is going to be very different if the why is answered differently. If this is your why for being a Christian, how you go about being a Christian is going to be different than if you have a different why for linking your name to that of Jesus Christ. Or are you a Christian because of these things? You fervently desire to be restored in your relationship to the Almighty God who created you and I. You are a Christian because you fervently desire to be pleasing to him in every way. You're a Christian because you fervently desire to bring glory to his name and not your own. If that's your why, then the how of your life is going to change, isn't it? We must ask ourselves why. Why am I a believer? Why am I a Christian? What then does the how of your Christian life look like? Well, it depends on the why of your Christian life. Consider some of these verses that help us to understand the why and the how. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, he says this, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. So you can't just say, oh, I believe in Jesus, Lord, Lord, so that I can get into heaven, and that's it. He says, no, not everybody who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven, that's who will enter. Ephesians 5, Paul writes to the church at Ephesus in chapter 5, verse, verses 8 through 10. He says it this way. You were formerly darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. Tell me about your walk. For the fruit of light consists of goodness and righteousness and truth. And that we're to live a life that's always trying to learn what is pleasing to God. That's a different why, isn't it? Paul also writes in his second letter to the Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, he says, Therefore, we also have as our ambition, whether at home or absent, to be pleasing to him. Hey, look, I, I'm an ambitious person, 
And I've had my ambition misdirected many times in my past. Ambition is fantastic, but boy, it better be ambitious for the things of the Lord. That's the why. So that, we, so that the how of our life is different. Oh, church, please, please, please be ambitious, but be ambitious to please God. Jesus himself says in chapter 8 of the book of John, verse 29, he says, He who sent me is with me. He has not left me alone, for I always do the things that are pleasing to him. He knows why he exists. He, he lives to please God, and so how he does that is calibrated because of his why. Amen? Let's pray. Almighty God, we ask you, Holy Spirit, to help us understand why we call ourselves Christian so that the how of our life will indeed change. Lord, we thank you for your patience with us. We just can't thank you enough for how long-suffering you are with us as we continue to wrestle with the why of our lives so that the how of our life can get better and indeed be pleasing to you. Lord, we are here because we desire in the depths of our heart to be pleasing to you, to be obedient to you, to do the things that you ask us to do. Because, Lord, that's where the freedom is. That's where the victory is. Lord, that's where the peace is. You've designed us to be in relationship with you, into an obedient relationship with you, because that's where we find peace. That's where we find hope. And so we thank you for that. Have your way with us this morning. We pray, Holy Spirit, in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. All right, cool. Good to be with you guys. Thank you. So I want to um, kind of do a little recap overview, if you will. So if you guys recall, this letter to the church at Thessalonica is one that is commending this church. We've talked about this more than once. They're doing well. They're living out their faith with excellence, right? And so he's commending them. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy are commending them for how they are living in the Lord. So take a look at that. Let's look at verses 5 through 9 of chapter 1. Let's revisit verses 5 through 9 of chapter 1, okay? So after the greetings in the first four verses, verse 5, our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, just as you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. And so what happened is you became imitators of us. You became godly people. You imitated godly people. And you also became an imitator of the Lord, having received the word in much tribulation with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you, verse 7 is powerful, so that you became an example to all the believers in these two big regions called Macedonia and Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you. Can you imagine? The word of the Lord had just resounded everywhere they went. Not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but every place that your faith toward God has gone forth so that we have no need to say anything. We can't even add to how your lives are preaching. Verse 9, for they themselves report about us what kind of a reception we had with you. What was that reception? How you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God. They repented and served God. Did you guys just hear my phone? I don't even have it on silent. It just chimes. Somebody's texting me. I'll get to it later if that's okay with you guys. I'm a professional. I'm going to stay focused. That's just so weird. I always have it on silent. I was like, ding, ding. Oops. Thanks for not calling. I think it says something like, hurry up. Anyway, so, so verses 5 through 9, like you guys are doing great. That's what it's saying. You got, you, you know, your, your testimony is resounding. People from, for hundreds of miles know about how well you're walking in the Lord. 
And then if you recall in chapter 4, go to chapter 4, verse 1. We've mentioned this verse more than once. Chapter 4, verse 1. Finally, brethren, we request and exhort you in the Lord that as you received from us instruction on how you ought to walk and to please God, and it says just as you actually do, that you excel still more. So they're doing things with excellence. Look at verses 9 and 10, also of chapter 4. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. For indeed, you do practice it toward all the brethren who are in all of Macedonia. But we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. So Paul's commending them. He's commending them. The whole purpose of this letter is for him to commend them on how they're living their Christian life. But as we discussed two weeks ago, when you leave chapter 1 and you get into chapter 2, it it switches for, for 12 verses. It goes from commending the Thessalonians to defending themselves. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy defend themselves. They're under attack. There's false accusations. People are uh, out to get them so they don't spread the gospel. Okay? So it goes from commending to defending. I want to read verses 1 through 12 of chapter 2 so you can see what's happening here. Okay? And see if you can see how they're defending themselves. After commending them in chapter 1, they start to defend themselves in chapter 2. And it crescendos in verse 12 of chapter 2. We'll get to that in a second. Let's read, starting at verse 1. For you yourselves know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. But after we had already suffered and been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had the boldness to speak to you, even though there was a lot of opposition. Right? So it's like, hey, we we ain't doing anything wrong. Like, why would we come here if all we're going to do is face more opposition and more hardship? Our motives are pure. For our exhortation does not come from error, or impurity, or by way of deceit, like those false teachers. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak. Not as pleasing men. So we're not here to speak the gospel to please you. We're speaking the gospel to please God, who examines our hearts. Verse 5, For we never came with flattering speech, as you know, nor were we greedy. God is our witness. Nor did we seek glory from men, either from you or from others, even though as apostles of Christ we might have asserted our authority. But we proved to be gentle among you, as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but we actually sacrificed our own lives because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren our labor and hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaimed the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you guys, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would do his own children. And here's their crescendo so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and his glory. It's powerful. Let me give you the breakdown. Robert, go ahead and throw up all all three of them at the same time this time. Thank you. So in those 12 verses, all right, don't don't trick me, Robert. I'm going to need a little more time than that. (laughs) In those first four verses, 
They're living. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy are living sacrificially for these people. They're living sacrificially. In the next four verses, five through eight, they're living motherly. And in the next four verses, they're living fatherly. Let me show you. In the first four verses, look at verse two. This is sacrificially. Verse two. After we had already suffered, been mistreated in Philippi, as you know, we had boldness to come speak to you the gospel of God in the midst of much opposition. They'd been, they, they had been mistreated, they had suffered, and they're facing opposition, and yet they are there. They are living sacrificially for these people in Thessalonica. This motherly thing in verses 5 through 8, look at verse 7. But we proved to be gentle. So in the midst of this hardship and this suffering, you think that they would be a little harsh. Like, what the heck? No, they're gentle. We proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children, it requires tenderness. And then look at this fatherly example. Look at verse 11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each of you as a father would do his own kids. And so that's the breakdown of verses 1 through 12 that crescendos in this so that we would walk in a worthy manner. Paul and Silvanus and Timothy lived sacrificially. They lived motherly. They lived fatherly. And the reason why, that's that why question. Why? Why did these men live this way? It's found in verse 12, and it starts with the two words, so that. Anytime you see so that, everything that comes before it, this is the other side of the equal sign. So that is the equal sign. They lived this way so that two things would happen. So that they would walk in a manner worthy of the God who called them. And so that they would be called into his kingdom and glory, not their own. That's why these men lived this way. That's why people live this way for us, so that you and I could walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us, so that you and I could be called into his kingdom and glory and not our own. And so I ask you a very important question. Does this verse, verse 12, define the why of your life? Do we do, verse 12, do we walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls us? And are we about building his kingdom and glory or our own? I've been guilty in this regard, as I'm sure many of you have as well. It's a great question for us, church. And what's interesting is Paul had to defend himself. Verses 1 through 11, Paul is defending himself, as well as Silas and Timothy. Paul had to defend himself while fighting and suffering for the sake of others. Isn't that interesting? Paul is living sacrificially, motherly, and fatherly, and he's defending himself while he's living that way for other people. And he's doing that so that they would walk in a manner worthy of the God who has called them. It's just amazing to me. Our God, church, our God was and is and always will be consumed with being in a right relationship with us. 
Our God was and is and always will be consumed in being in a right relationship with us. He has pursued us and pursued us and pursued us since the Garden of Eden, since the fall of man. God continues to pursue us. Amen for that, right? And so I ask you, (laughs) how consumed are we with being in a right relationship with our God and Creator? He's consumed with being in a right right relationship with us. How consumed are we in being in a right relationship with our God and our Creator? What consumes you? What fills up your day? A lot of things can fill up our day really, really fast. Are we consumed with our Creator? Do you awake each day with two things, an understanding of and a passion for walking in a manner worthy of the God who calls us. You can't just have a passion. You must also have an understanding of, right? Do you awake each day with a passion to serve our God? Do you awake each day with an understanding of how to walk in a manner that's worthy of him? Do you awake each day with an understanding of and a passion for his kingdom and his glory and not your own? So, the question remains, why? Why? Why are you Christian? Why do you link your name to that of Jesus Christ? Why do you go to church? Is it so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory? Is that why you're here? Why do you spend time in prayer? Is it to get things? Or is it so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory? Why do you spend time in the word? Is it so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory? Why do you spend time in community with brothers and sisters in Christ? Is it so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory? Why do you serve the Lord and his church? Is it so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you into his kingdom and glory? Church, we must be willing to ask ourselves this very tough question. Do I walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls me into his own kingdom and his glory? I ask you to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And then confess to the Lord where you are not walking in a worthy manner and watch the Lord start to work that in you. What are you holding on to that you need to let go? And what have you let go that you need to hold on to? It's probably something that we've let go that God says grab that again. But there's things that we're grabbing that God's saying you need to let that go so that we can walk in a manner worthy of how we're called as Christian men and women, as the church. If you have a chance, please get with a brother or sister in Christ or more and confess this as well and asking them to check in with you and to pray for you. And heck, maybe ask them to fast for you while they're praying as well. So church, determine today, determine today that you will grow in your understanding of and your passion for walking in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. And be willing to ask each other, hey, tell me about your walk. Tell me about your walk. Hey, tell me about your walk. Hey, how was your week this week? Okay, great. Tell me about your walk. 
tell me about your walk. And when we dare say to somebody, oh, Diana, that's all good. You're supposed to walk in a manner worthy of the God who calls you. Did you know that? Like, we don't do that with one another. Like, oh, how dare you get into my grill? Hmm. Let's put this section together then, okay? As Paul, Silas, and Timothy wind down this section from one, chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 12. As they wind down this section of this letter, there's a couple things I want to point out that we now know. Here's the first thing that we now know. The first thing that we now know is that the Thessalonians are excelling in their Christianity, right? We know this. Verse 7 of chapter 1 says that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. And he says in chapter 4, you're doing excellent, excel still more. So we know this from, our, from chapter 1, verse 1 to chapter 2, verse 12. That's the first thing we know. The Thessalonians are excelling in their Christianity. But the second one's kind of like it with a little addition. The Thessalonians are excelling in their Christianity because of others. They're excelling in their Christianity because of others. Paul, Silas, and Timothy came alongside this church in the three ways that I've already pointed out. Sacrificially, motherly, and fatherly. And they excelled because Paul and Silas and Timothy came alongside them and lived with them sacrificially and motherly and fatherly. And so you put those dots together, here's what you get. Walking in a manner worthy of the God who calls us seems to necessitate, seems to require those in our lives that live sacrificially for us. Do you have people in your life that live sacrificially for you like Paul and Silvanus and Timothy did so that these people can thrive and excel? It seems to necessitate that we need people in our lives that live sacrificially with us and for us. I have people like that. I have men in my life that live sacrificially for me. I have women in my life, one, called my wife, who lives sacrificially for me, and you can figure out what that means. It necessitates it. Who's living sacrificially for you? You need to ask people, man, will you be there for me? I need people to live sacrificially for me so that I can excel. See, and he mentions mothers and fathers in this stanza, I think, for a reason. Mothers and fathers, perhaps more than anyone else, totally understand the concept of sacrificial living. And we do so, why? So that our kids will walk in a manner worthy. That's why. Mothers and fathers, perhaps more than anyone else, totally understand that oftentimes our efforts come back void with our kids, whether short-term or long-term. All kids want and need a great mother and a great father, but don't always embrace what they say and do. Sometimes kids disagree. They disobey. They rebel. They get angry. They cause us grief. They turn their backs. Yet, we must continue to parent and to sacrifice in hopes that one day they will walk in a worthy manner. Amen? So which side are we on, church? Which side are we on? Do we have people in our lives that are living sacrificially for us so that we can walk in a worthy manner? And if we do, how are you responding? The church at Thessalonica responded well. They, they walked with excellence when these people came around them. When Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy lived 
for them, sacrificially and motherly and fatherly, they responded in excellence. So do you have, do we have people in our lives that are living sacrificially? That's one side. The other side, do we have people in our lives that we are living sacrificially for them? Right? We need people in our lives for us to grow so that we can live with excellence. People that will live sacrificially for us so that we can live with excellence. And so the question then is, who are we living sacrificially for? Do you make sacrifices for your brothers and sisters in Christ so that they can walk and live with excellence? We need to be doing both. We need people living sacrificially for us. And there are many in this church that do that for me. I can't thank you enough. So we need people living sacrificially for us, but do we live sacrificially for others? Paul said in his letter, in his first letter to the church at Corinth, he said in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, Be imitators of me, just as I also am of Christ. Christ suffered for Paul so that Paul can be excellent. And then Paul suffers for the church at Thessalonica so they can be excellent. And then he says for us to be imitators of him so that we would live sacrificially and fatherly and motherly for others so that they could walk with excellence. Amen? Church, look. There's a lot of things that can get us sideways in life. A lot of things. But we have a calling as Christian men and women to live in a worthy manner of that call. Right? And what these men are saying, we've come alongside you. We've, as a mother, as a father, we've sacrificed so that you would walk in a manner that's worthy. It is my heart for you, and I hope it's your heart for one another, that, that you walk in a manner worthy. We're expected to walk in a worthy manner. And when we don't, repent, confess, get people in your lives and just say, I need you to live sacrificially for me. I need your help in this regard so that I can walk in a worthy manner. Amen? I'm going to invite you guys up to close this in song. Uh, I'm going to pray, and when we're done with our service, if you need prayer from our prayer team, please see our prayer team. It's so good to be with you guys. Thank you for doing this. Let's pray. Almighty God, we cannot thank you enough that you've called us to walk in a worthy manner. But it's not impossible, Lord. You say that through you, we can do all things. And you've left us your Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, we, we know that you, you have empowered us to be pleasing to God, to walk in a worthy manner of the very calling with which you have called us. Forgive us when we don't. Recalibrate us so that we do. Help us to be quick to acknowledge and confess our sin to recognize, Holy Spirit, through your conviction when we're not walking in a worthy manner. We pray for brothers and sisters that would live sacrificially for us, and we pray, Lord, that we would learn how to live sacrificially for others so that we can walk with excellence and so that we can encourage others to walk in excellence as well. God, we thank you for your words. In your name we pray. Amen.